everybody to another episode of Amplify Your Business. Today I'm talking to Ryan Smith. He is the co-founder and CEO over at 360 Energy Liability Management. This is a guy that went from professional rugby player to now a two-time entrepreneur. So I'm really excited to dig into your past, Ryan, and find all those little kernels of, of or nuggets of information that uh, we can share with our audience today. Uh, but before I do so, I just want to say welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, that's a really nice intro as well, too. And um, there's probably only a few little tiny nuggets uh, in this huge cranium of mine, but we'll try and share a few uh, and see if there's anything that, that resonates with some of the audience, I hope. So it's, it's really great to be on. I, I really enjoy these types of thought processes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And so let's start off with the question I ask all my guests, which is if you could give, you know, three things that you think every entrepreneur needs to know based off of your 12 years of of uh, of being an entrepreneur, what would those three core things need to be? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I I refer back to kind of um, the key tenant. Number one is why your business exists. That's that's the most important thing, in my opinion. If you can solve for that, why your business exists, it, it leads you down the path of all the other things you need to identify inside of a business. So number yeah. one, why your business exists um, and continue to clarify that along the, the road. Number two, um, how is your business performing at this second right now? Um, are, do you have your finger on, on every single key metric inside of your business at, at this point? Uh, and number three, what's the pulse of your people? Um, and, and I don't care if you're a one-person business or a 1,000-person business, having a pulse of the people is absolutely crucial to understanding how your business is going to perform. So the why, the the I don't want to say financial metrics because it's not always just that. So it's yep. the why, it's the performance of your, your business at, at this moment right now and, and the pulse of the people. Yeah. And so you're very specific about this moment right now. Um, can you elaborate as to why you're, you're saying that as opposed to just the broader, you know, overall uh, performance metrics? Yeah. And this is lessons learned, uh, which I think is what the, the podcast is about is, is getting information that is stale dated or, or behind the times doesn't um, give you the ability to be super proactive about how you build your business. So when you're thinking about all of the important things go forward as a leadership person or, or it doesn't matter who you are in the organization, if you have the information at hand, you can then be data driven as opposed to just data informed. Um, and, and that is the thing that we've learned as a business is, is super crucial. And, uh, you know, frankly, we're, we're not perfectly there yet, but it's something we're, we're working really hard at trying to get to. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really like that distinction because, you know, you, you mentioned not just the financial numbers, but when you think about the financial numbers, usually what we're looking at is, is numbers from the rear view mirror. Right. And so, um, hopefully they're indicators, um, uh, and, and you're working, with that to kind of project forward but that's the the risk that we run is if we're looking backwards all the time well it's really hard to i think effectively grow the business and see where those opportunities are and so knowing what's happening in the now is critical mm -hmm. so i really like that distinction yeah. um, now 360 is the is your business why don't you share with the audience a little bit about what it is that you guys do what problems are you trying to solve over there yeah, so 360 is a purpose and mission driven company. It's quite easy to describe. Um, the problem that we solve in industry is um, solving for for the complex issue that is site closure. So we're we're an engineering and environmental science consulting business. That is what we do. But we solve for the for the problem that is site closure. And our mission is to make closure simple, so we know exactly why we we do what we do. And um, at 
when we when we started the business, it was designed around um, site closure closure specifically for oil and gas. If we're in Western Canada, as we are, um, we understand that 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 tends to be quite a, a warm topic, uh, both with public and with industry. So um, we built a business around trying to solve for that unique problem, and it's and it's slowly and steadily over time grown into uh, adjacent sectors and and some of the services that come along with that. Yeah, and this is a thing that is in the press a lot lately because there's. A, a big issue in our province in Alberta right now, but across Western Canada, I think, in terms of all of these orphaned oil well sites as well. And I, I'd imagine that's a big component of your business, is it not? Yeah, absolutely. The, the orphan component, um, it is a big component of our business for sure. And it's big in terms of the the public recognition. There's the inactive component, which is, you know, the, the sites that are held by um, solvent producers that are actually doing good things about it. So that's a big as big, if not bigger component of the business also that often um, doesn't get the same kind of headlines, which we try and highlight that, you know, the industry is doing a lot of good things. Um, that's one, but also not just in Alberta. Um, if we look globally, there are, there are oil and gas wells throughout the planet, as we all well know. And, and this issue that we see in front of us today is also quite a global concern. And um, as you start to kind of come out of your unique market niche, you realize that um, different sectors uh, around the globe are having similar type issues. So it, it's a really neat space to be involved in and watching it as much as it's kind of the unsexy world of, of energy or industrial, um, the industrial world. It, it's really neat to see it evolve right now in, in the space that we're in, in, in what some call maybe a transition. And so right now, are you operating in multiple countries? Are you just in Western Canada? Can you give us the scope of your business? Yeah, so we're primarily in Western Canada. The three Western provinces is the bulk of our um, business. Uh, leading up to the last couple of months, we've really started to um, spread our wings, as it were. You know, we're in the second stage of our growth plans right now, and, and part of our scale-up plans involve uh, multi-jurisdictional, and, and that's both left and right across the country uh, and uh, in other uh, places abroad. Okay. Yeah. Exciting times to be, I think, in this particular part of the energy uh, sector, right? It's uh, There's just a lot of opportunity, I think, for growth. And so good on you guys for really identifying a, a growth market, really, and uh, being able to build that expertise here in Western Canada that you can now export essentially across the globe. Um, I'm, I'm curious. Okay. So this business you is, has been operational for about six and a half years and about, uh, six years before that, uh, you got into entrepreneurship. Can you take me back to those early days where you were an employee and then you became, um, you know, an owner of the business that you're working in and why you did that transition? What was it that got you into becoming an entrepreneur to begin with? Um, so, so the first kind of real job I had uh, after rugby, uh, when I finished that professional career, was in business development. And it's something that just appealed to my innate nature. I wouldn't say that I had a real clear focus around what it is I wanted to be when I grew up. And I probably still don't, for that matter. Um, but kind of you get into BD, in particular in the energy industry, uh, you get a lot of um, business to business uh, experience and exposure. And inside of that, you start to, to hear and listen for the problems that the clients have. And, yeah. and if you have that lens and you think to yourself, OK, well, I'm maybe a problem solver. I like thinking about problems. Um, you, you often try and come to the solution, which is kind of one of the grounding pieces for being an entrepreneur is being able to solve for unique problems. And um, that was that was inside of kind of how my brain worked at that point. Again, didn't know what I wanted to be or where I wanted to go. And um, 
kind of thankfully, um, a, a mentor of mine in, uh, in town here, um, he started a small business with a couple of other fellows in um, upstream oil and gas, um, drilling and completions rentals. So commoditized type environment, really difficult selling environment, very relationship focused. And um, when he needed a business development professional, he called me and said, hey, would you like to, to come over and, and be employee one? And and I, I said, yeah, absolutely. I'd like to come over and be employee one. But um, sometime over the next whatever time period, I'd like to try and earn my way into this business because that's something that I think that would be an, a, a great adventure and would appeal to the way that my brain works. And that's exactly what um, he said yes to that. And eventually over time, we just kind of started chipping in, chipping in, and, and we built that business and um, we eventually sold it in 2017. Yeah, excellent. And so now that business, you would have learned a few things along that first journey into entrepreneurship that uh, you probably have carried over into this business. So uh, what would be those key things that, uh, you know, that you learned that you didn't want to make either the same mistake or you wanted to replicate or, or, or carry into this current venture? Well, uh, there, there's a lot you could go down there. Um, first, I would say this, that that first entrepreneurial journey is, is kind of like, um, the university of entrepreneurship or, or college, or maybe even before that, it's like high school for, for entrepreneurs. Cause it was a small business and, and, you know, we did a lot of good things well, but we stayed in a lane very much. So I would say the thing that um, I learned the most was that once you see opportunity and you think you could go after it, be very deliberate about your planning and, and actually then take the step. And, and that's what, you know, that's what entrepreneurship is. You know, the word itself is defined as, is taking the step to do something. Um, I, I, I would do that. That, that. That's the biggest learning um, from that business was that, you know, we, we saw a bunch of other little opportunities, but we stayed in our lane. Uh, it was very safe uh, and it was a very good business. Um, so, so that would, I, I would say is the biggest takeaway. So, so the takeaway is to stay in your lane then? No. So to, once you see an opportunity that is um, relevant, build your plan around that and then take the last step of doing it. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and that, that, that's what we've done really well uh, we collectively at 360 have done really well has been able to identify additional opportunities once we started solving for the first problem we listen for the next one and we identify it we, we're building plans around them and then we launch them so a question for you because there's a lot of people that uh, hear that they should be just sticking into a very much a niche and and, and very much in a single lane um that that's you know you don't want to distract yourself um and so how do you determine what you add into uh, your current business when you see some of those adjacent opportunities and which ones you kind of uh, stay clear of, I guess? There's a lot of factors in that. I, I had a great conversation actually on a panel here not long ago where we talked about something like that and say, um, my opinion there is that if you're uh, working backwards from the end, uh, whatever that end is, um, that gives you a really clear definition. So when you build your long-term strategy, and ours is a 100-year strategy, so that working back from the end there is really quite clear, um, that gives you the guidance or the bumper pads that you should or should not pursue. That 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 roadmap, if you can go down that, and, and personally, I don't really care if it's a two-year roadmap or you know, a five-year roadmap or a 10-year roadmap, if you can go down that road of defining that roadmap of what, of what you think your business should be or, or where you want to be personally, um, that really helps define, okay, which are the priority items that I'm going to move up in the queue? Because there's always so many things that you can do as an entrepreneur. Which are the priority items that you want to move up and, and add those resources to, whether it's human capital or money or whatever? 
I, I'm, I'm really interested and intrigued by the 100 year strategy. I've never heard of anybody laying out a 100 year strategy before. So can you expand upon that a little bit as to the philosophy there as well as uh, really how, how you put that in? in, in it, it is very much a philosophical approach, but it gives you a good grounding for building your near term strategy. Yeah. Um, Partly, and I don't like painting things in the negative light, partly it's it's the idea of, okay, I want to go away from near-term wins and do all the right things that are that are important in the long run. So oftentimes in, in maybe North American culture in particular, there's this focus on quarterly results and quarterly results and quarterly results. And, and, and everybody tries to hammer it down your throat. Well, oftentimes you miss the structural elements that are important to building reputation, building brand strength, creating a culture that is lasting, being invested in the community, all of those important things that that should be priority one, two, three, and four get pushed to number two and down because somebody's focused on near-term results, near-term results. So it is very much philosophical to remind ourselves that that is equally as important as performance metrics. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember reading something uh, about Jeff Bezos over at Amazon and just how he had such a really strong future vision uh, that w allowed him to then make those decisions that they were not focusing on the next quarter and so on. I mean, they were not profitable for many, many years at the beginning. And he was able to convince, I think that was the magic of Jeff Bezos was to convince the marketplace, the, uh, the investors, the investment community that they didn't need to focus on that, which was a really strange <laughs> place to be able to, uh, you know, convince uh, investors to do that because they still typically do not uh, want to look at anything except for the the, the results of you know, the quarter. So, Think about uh, the amount of conviction that's required to, to want to one sell it, but then to give the results that show, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm on the track. That, yeah. that we've designed um, and, and our business is entirely different from that. But um, we, we have one of the standards of excellence in our business here, um, which is kind of like the overarching theme of, of how we interact together um, is borrow from the best. So I, I hear you say Bezos, we, we steal from Bezos, we steal from and steal is wrong where we borrow from the best. Uh, we yeah. take little elements like that nuggets, as you call them, uh, and we apply them in the right um the right way inside of our business in the way that fits. I, I think it's really important for entrepreneurs in general to think like that, think with that mindset that is wide open. Yeah. Yeah, completely. That, and that's the one thing that I often, you know, coach others on is that, uh, you know, the, there's seldom is there a lot of new ideas. It's, it's really what we're doing is we're massaging existing ideas. And, uh, and so if we can, be open and welcoming of as many as we can and really be uh, curious, uh, that is where we're going to be able to find then the, the opportunities for for us. And so I like that, the, uh, the, the borrowing for sure. Okay. So um, now your business right now, uh, you're beyond the startup stage. So you're in the scale up stage right now. Um, talk to me about the differences in the way that you need to approach the way that you lead your business in a startup versus uh, phase versus the scale up phase. Um, what can you share with us there? Yeah. Um, the thing that is, this is a personal opinion uh, that I believe is most important there is being super deliberate in scale up in, and I'll contrast it in, in startup mode. Uh, if you've got a great idea or product or service, um, you're often winning work, winning new business, solving new problems, and it's moving fast, and you're just responding on that cycle. And 
um, success comes easy and it comes fast if you're doing it well, obviously. Um, but, but you have that like, okay, let's move fast. Let's move fast. We'll go after everything. We'll, we'll say yes to everything and, and we'll figure out how to do it after. That's, that's a very entrepreneurial mindset to take on. Um, in scale-up mode, and this is not to slow anything down, but it, it's to be very deliberate about how you plan. So, so thinking about road mapping everything that you do, thinking about the potential risks that come along with it, thinking about what the long-term outcomes are that you want. And I know that sounds boring and meat and potatoes, but in the scale-up phase, it's actually really important. And then lastly, linking that back to why you started the business and, and what are the problems that you solve and how does that all carry through? So just that, that deliberate, purposeful approach to taking the next step. Because when you move into scale-up mode, um, typically your business is established, you have enough business, but oftentimes, and, and we're, we're a great kind of testament to this, you don't have all of the foundational elements in place. Mm-hmm. So if you don't go down that route of planning and planning and planning and planning, um, you'll miss more foundational elements and then you'll just add and you add to the pile of, of oh, oh, this has got cracks. Oh, oh, and then your little house of cards can can tumble down. So that that would be my my biggest kind of thought process around scale up versus startup. Yeah, I, I can relate to that because in our business, we're in that scale up uh, phase right now as well. And so back when we were in the startup phase, there was a lot of experimentation. We were much more nimble because we were smaller. You could pivot um, and really take advantage of different opportunities as well. In the scale up uh, phase, we have to be just so much more careful about where we focus our attention and that we have our plans really well thought out because it's not a ship now that's as easy and nimble to turn. Um, and so we want to make sure that, you know, we're respecting that vision and making sure that we're not just, you know, uh, as much of a maverick, I guess, as what we once were. I'd imagine you guys must be feeling the same way, right? We share the same sentiment for sure. Absolutely. And um, so the, the challenge that we pose to ourselves and, and you probably do the same thing, Lance, um, the challenge is how can you remain agile and, and nimble, yeah. the two biggest buzzwords in entrepreneurship? How can you remain, and practically speaking, how can you still move quickly, but with a little bit more um, strategic planning built around it? And, and that's, you know, that's exactly what we're trying to do in this phase. We, we, we continue to see market opportunity. We continue to want to go after it. We continue to want to improve how it is we do that. Because if, if you set those structures, you actually speed up if you're doing it the right way. Yeah. And speed is crucial sometimes in entrepreneurship. Yeah. And so for you then is the, if I'm hearing you correctly, then it's the structures, the systems, that's what is enabling you to be able to do that then? That's right. That's, and that's, that's what we're working on. I, I, enabling is a strong word. Lance, uh, we're getting there is what I would say. Um, we're, we're working on that. At, and then I make this joke that, you know, we, we, we were building this little rocket ship and uh, we were getting ready to take off to go to Mars and um, somebody lit the fuse without us knowing and it took off. And now we're putting on the steering wheel and we're putting on the wings and like, and that's very common. And I joke about it, it but it, it's an easy way to relate to, you know, when you get a business that has some momentum behind it, yeah. um, the way that you have to do it. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and so in terms of like your personal journey, uh, your experience with entrepreneurship, I mean, uh, this is your second business and one that you've started right from the, the ground up on it. What is it that you, I guess, enjoy the most about entrepreneurship? And what is it on the flip side do you, you know, struggle the most with? So from a personal standpoint, so from a personal, from Ryan Smith's perspective, exactly. um, 
I'm a growth junkie. Okay. So personal growth, business growth, doesn't matter if it's a lemonade stand, doesn't matter if it's a sport, hobby, whatever. Um, it just has to be always um, improving or changing. That that to me is 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 a basic tenant uh, inside of my my fabric. So that's that's the thing that brings me the most joy in, in watching things change. That you know, change is hard sometimes. And, and so the flip side, and to answer the second question, um, being okay with chaos at times is really hard. Yeah. And um, being able to rationalize all of the stuff that is going on in the background, the noise and all of that, and just being able to say, okay, I'm still on this path. I know what I'm doing. I'm okay with this turbidity. Um, and, and, and just being okay in that, in that spot is probably one of the harder things uh, that you can deal with as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah, I can relate uh, to that indeed. And I think a lot of the people who are listening can as well. Uh, now, you guys have been growing fairly rapidly and it sounds like you have some really uh, you know strong growth plans in front of you as well and I know that you had said that one of the strategies that you have for that is is uh, acquisitions and mergers and and uh, in addition to the organic how do you balance the organic growth that you need or want with the mergers acquisitions growth? and still maintain, you know, the, the culture and, uh, you know, the brand that you have built with 360, which is so critical, right? Yeah. Uh, wow. Uh, that's really, there's a lot of elements to that piece. Um, maintaining yeah. brand culture is what I'll, I'll kind of key on here. Um, when you have um, a core team that are, that are working towards your, your mission today, and then you're adding um, new team members, from different organizations that maybe had a different way of working, et cetera, that that's one of the most complex things to solve for sure. And that's why um, mergers, acquisitions are, are, you know, it's one of the hardest things people can say they, they do in entrepreneurship, but also it, it can help accelerate a business to the nth degree if you do it well. Um, maintaining that cultural side, the way that we've taken, and I won't say it's the right way, but the way that the approach that we've taken there is that we've been really deliberate about road mapping our culture roadmapping what it means to be a part of this organization and, and being really deliberate about our purpose and our mission, but then also defining the ways that we work together. And once you have that written roadmap, it's not just, you know, Ryan Smith talking to other people about, you know, how good we are and, and how great our business is. It's okay. Here's our roadmap and um, use this roadmap, refer back to it, and then go talk to our people and try and understand uh, the way that we work, if it jives with what's written on the paper. And then that's a really easy way to give confidence. So when, when new people are coming to the organization and new could be a new hire or new could be a brand new business that we bring over, when they come over to the organization, they've got this grounding point to some degree. And and they say, okay, well, I, I see the roadmap. And then I see, you know, the the, the leadership team uh, talking in this way and, and they're acting in this way, more importantly. And and those things now jive in my brain and I feel I feel safe here and I feel comfortable here. And now I can actually grow in a place that is um, a growing business. But yeah, it, it's leaning into that side. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's such a, I think the, the biggest place of failure that I've seen uh, or when I talk to other entrepreneurs who've gone through acquisitions and whether it's been a success or a failure, it often comes down to just that culture. And are they able to actually take those people? Because at the end of the day, all of our businesses are people businesses. And it's taking those people and really making sure that there's a fit there for them and that you bring them into the culture. And that's a, that can be a really delicate and difficult thing. 
I, I think your business and our business are similar, similar in the sense that um, we're asset light businesses, right? Our, our only asset is our people. And, and this is my saying, it's, it's people are appreciating assets. If, if you pay attention to them, they're appreciating assets. If you pay attention to them and, and myself included, um, if you have to be deliberate and purposeful about that. Yeah, I'm just jotting this down because uh, I love that phrase that people are appreciating assets because um, it, it is so true, right? Um, the value, and I think of any business, really at the end of the day, it comes down to the people that are within those businesses because um, you, we don't, as entrepreneurs, we don't accomplish the things we want to accomplish uh, without the people around us, right? So, yeah, I, I'm I'm also curious in terms of, the acquisition aspect of of your growth plan and so you've acquired uh, three businesses to date and so in that was there any surprises um to you um you know as you were doing that and i'm thinking more on the process of of acquiring and and more the mechanics of it was there anything that kind of surprised you or that challenged you that you really had to kind of struggle through to, to, to overcome that and really make it the successful acquisition that was going to fuel that growth. I'm kind of laughing because, uh, this, this, was there anything that surprised you? Yes. Everything is the answer. Um, it, it, it's a really, really difficult adventure to go down this road. Um, I'll tell you one of the things that, that, that is the biggest surprise is that, um, you can put together a team and a plan that is super robust, but, no matter what, everything that you plan for will be different than you expected. The, the, the phases of due diligence that you're allowed to connect with a, an, an, like a company that you're looking to acquire, and this is specific advice for people that are looking to acquire, the, the, the phases of due diligence are, are not nearly um, deep enough, long enough, robust enough to garner all of the information that you would, in a perfect scenario, want to have where, where you just say, I, I need to paint this perfectly. It's going to work hundred percent for sure. Um, I need all of this information that doesn't exist in the DD space. So what you have to do is create different scenarios that that'll mitigate a lot of those potential, you know, what happens if, what happens if, and, you know, we, on our, on the very first deal, we didn't, we didn't know what we were doing is really frank answer, but um, we stood up a planning team that was 12 people deep and we, and we started two months before. And in spite of that, a lot of the things we thought about were not on target and it's, it's just, that's a huge learning moment for us. And, and then, you know, the, the last deal that we've, we've, we've set up a team for, we started with four people and we started the same time frame out, but we spaced out how we engaged and we've really economized that process. So those learning moments are huge inside of that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so it just makes it uh, so much easier for you to do the next deal, the next deal and so on, right. As you really understand the, the intricacies of, of what a, super complex transaction that really ends up being. Yeah. I love, I, I love podcasts, first of all, and yours is great. I, I, I really do enjoy it. Um, the McKinsey podcast is a really cool one. They talk about programmatic M&A quite often. And um, that, that style of being very programmatic about how you approach this is something we tried to adopt. We borrowed from the rest. We, we tried to adopt inside of, inside of the business. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. That's really cool. Okay. So in, in terms of, um, you know, your journey again, and it's been 12 years as an entrepreneur. If you had the ability to send, you know, the younger Ryan Smith 12 years ago, a letter, uh, what would you tell yourself in that letter? Play sports for longer. 
Uh, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't mean that at all. Um, I wouldn't have played rugby. I'd play golf. Uh, that's what <laughs> a little I'd easier on the body, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know what's really interesting in this? I don't know if this sounds cliche or not, uh, but I actually mean this. I I would tell the younger me to think bigger. Um, yeah. I don't know if that's that's dream bigger, but think bigger. And um, it's interesting as we go through these stages of entrepreneurship, you gain confidence um, in, in what you do wrong and what you do right through your failures, failures and your successes, you gain these little bits of confidence and, and each step along the way we've found as a, as a collective in our organization that, you know, we've, we've undershot our potential. You know, what is it that you overestimate what you can do in a year, but you underestimate what you can do in 10 years. Like that, yeah. that is exactly, that is exactly us to a T. Um, and, and that's, that, that would be, if I could go back and talk to the, the idiot that was Ryan Smith, 17 year old, I, I would say exactly that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is really interesting, right? Like uh, just the way that we um, think about our own abilities and our uh, and and really evaluate where we're going to be or project out where we're going to be. Um, it, it is so true. I, I overestimate what I'm going to accomplish every year for sure. There's no question. But yeah. then, yeah, in the longer horizon, it's like, oh, no, that was actually pretty good. The 100-year business. I'd imagine how much you can accomplish in 100 years, Lance. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully I'm not the one doing most of the work at the uh, in the later stage, that's for sure. Freedom 95. Um, that's, that's the plan we're working on. It's Freedom 95. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time today, Ryan, to share some of your story, your experience. Um, and, uh, you know, definitely wish you guys all the best as you tackle that 100-year strategy. Now, if somebody wanted to connect with you um, just to, you know, learn a little bit more from you or if they've got some business that they want to run by, yeah, uh, what's the best way to connect? Yeah, I'd, I'd encourage anybody to reach out on email. My email is really easy. It's rsmith at 360elm.com. Um, that can be found on the website. That can be found here, obviously, now. But um, I'm always open to uh, cold reach outs. I, I love that thought process, especially from an entrepreneurial standpoint. If anybody in, in your network or otherwise is keen on having those conversations, I'll I'll have those all day long. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan, really. I said it before, but I'm a big fan of what you're doing. I'm a big fan of, of how you're going about it. And, and connecting these networks is is a fantastic way to to help build the entrepreneurial base. And, and we need more of that across Canada. We need more of it in Western Canada. I, I'm really appreciative of what you're doing. So thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, thank you, Ryan. And, and that is truly what we're trying to do is just increase the capacity amongst our entrepreneurial community, because we really, truly are the backbone of the economy as well as our communities. And so without us, um, it's it's really it's a different world that we're in. And so uh, we want to celebrate it, but we also want to try to nurture it as well. So, yeah, this is this is helpful. So thank you very much, Ryan. Thank you. And, for those of you who are listening today and really enjoyed this episode and want to check out some other entrepreneurial stories, head over to amplifyyourbusiness.ca. That's where you're going to find our archive. And of course, we're on all the major podcasting platforms. So just search Amplify Your Business on your favorite one and you'll be able to find us there as well. Until next time, everybody have a prosperous day. Amplify.